wouldn't it be great if your dad had been able to talk to you about these emotions? Every guy nods their head. Everybody, every guy's like, I wish my dad would have, or I wish my grandfather would have, or I wish men in my life would have told me it's okay to be anxious. It's okay. It's okay not to know the answer, right? You're valued for like who you are and not what you do. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I'd like to welcome Edward Tilton to the show. Edward is the COO of Begin Again Institute that provides heart-centered trauma-focused treatment for individuals struggling with intimacy disorders and sexual addiction. Welcome to the show, Edward. Thanks for having me on, Damon. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, I was excited about this episode because we're going to talk about something that a lot of people don't really talk about in recovery, and that's intimacy. And you are an intimacy expert and, you know, working with your great company, Begin Again Institute, that's what you really focus on. You know, and I, I think I first wanted to kind of ask you this question, you know, what is intimacy and, you know, what function does it play in your life? Yeah. So, so there's, there's a, I guess, I guess the easiest way of, of describing intimacy um, is, is really about being able to, being able to have a certain skill set to develop a relational understanding of both yourself as it relates to another person um, that offers authenticity, safety, and ultimately growth. You know, so oftentimes I think we forget just with technology and and the fast pace um, that we share in life that the humans are community community creatures. You know, we 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 need as much as we oftentimes will say, you know, I don't necessarily want to do social things or maybe I have anxiety in social settings. You know, we we need connection. Um, and so intimacy is is really the foundational aspect of of community. So yeah. so that's so that's like the the basic piece. The reason why you know, intimacy is so important is that growth aspect. You know, it's, it's really about being, being able to have a, a reflective understanding of, of people's experiences and people's successes, um, because our lives are not long enough to make all the, all the mistakes that the world has to offer. So we need to be able to have uh, true intimacy in our relationships to be able to talk about what are our hopes? What are our goals? Um, what do we want our future to look like? And ultimately, how do we have a valid, how do we have validated knowledge of how to get there? I think you, you know, you mentioned something that a lot of people do talk about in recovery, which is relationships. And relationships tend to be a sign, you know, uh, of people that are struggling with addiction um, when they're actively using or even after they're sober relationships can really be a struggle sometimes, you know, um, the, the ups and downs of relationships and the emotions that are attached to them, you know, 
in, in your own experience, I know that you're in recovery and that you, mm. you know, have been down your own path. You know, what are some of the signs that people might see? You know, they're sober, they're doing the thing, but their relationships just aren't quite there. Is the problem intimacy usually? Is that usually what's going on? Is it the inability to really connect deeply with people? Yeah. So, so I think it's, so I think it's, it's first important to, to say, um, you know, intimacy is, is the foundation for the relationship. But, you know, when we start talking about intimacy disorders, I believe, and I don't know if this is controversial, but I believe that all addictions are intimacy disorders, right? So it's, it's the idea that I would much rather bond with X than with other people, you know? So insert whatever your, your vice is with X. So I'd much rather bond with alcohol or I'd much rather bond with opiates or I'd much rather bond with, with gambling and addiction and in those types of aspects um, than with, with other people. You know, and this is, you know, when we start looking at the process of, of where intimacy fits into recovery, I first like to, I first like to tell people to think of intimacy as, as the phrase of into me, I see, you know, so what are some self-reflective aspects of recovery that, that we need to do to really start to understand how to better connect with people because people won't be able to connect with us unless we're connecting with ourselves first. If we're so not, is that, not, is that where people see this first Edward? Is it, is it in the connections with people, the inability? Because like, when I think about intimacy, look, I, I think you tapped on something that was really important at yeah. the very beginning, which is addiction is this focus on things that aren't intimacy, right? It's not right. like, how do we connect with people? It's really trying to escape from that. Right. into a people place or thing that isn't really real most of the time right it's just giving us this sensation mm-hmm. that 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 we're okay at that at that moment is it is it that you feel do, do you feel that people that suffer suffer uh, from addiction are, are are scared of that especially when they first get sober oh because maybe the thought is hey i'm sober you know what i mean and i do have some relationships but i'm afraid to really go deeper in those relationships because there is the unknown. The unknown is there. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you're looking at, so a, common, so a common thought that I had was, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't love me. And if you loved me and you knew me for who I really was, you're probably more screwed up than I am. And I probably shouldn't trust you anyways. So when we get sober, a lot of us, a, a lot of our, our work is, is really being able to release that narrative, right? Cut that narrative out of, of the tape that plays in our head, right? And so that's where, you know, inventory and, and really being able to do, you know, self-reflection um, and honesty is going to be able to provide us with a community that will support our, our distrust and fear of, of others, right? Our addiction, while, while complicated in a lot of aspects and, and very dangerous to, to ourselves and our loved ones, is, is pretty simple. You know, it's, it's very transactional. So a lot of times when we get into recovery, 
we're looking for very transactional relationships, you know, and when we actually start getting people that don't want just a transactional relationship where they want to continue to get us uh, get to know us in, in a way where they're asking about, you know, our belief system and, you know, what are our core values and, you know, but, but more importantly, like just what makes you happy, you know? Um, and, and I would go as far as to say that this is, this is something that we get the beauty uh, to engage in, in the recovery community. This is something that the, the whole world is, is suffering with, right? We've, we've established a, a collective understanding of dissociation, even how we exchange with each other, you know, you, you go to, you go to a gathering with people and the first thing they ask you is how are you doing? And there's two responses that work. It's good or okay. Right. We don't actually want to hear about, you know, I've actually been feeling really abandoned lately. Right. Um, and then the second thing that we typically will ask each other, specifically men, is we'll ask, well, what do you do for work? You know, what's your employment? Right. And and all of these things are, are oftentimes just really segmenting or creating opportunities for disconnections that we buy into and we cultivate at an unhealthy level, right? So many of us get into recovery and, and we become workaholics, right? We become, we become obsessed with the, with the quick money through gambling or through you know, opportunities of, of, of things that might not necessarily be fully legal, um, you know, but, but we, we believe that it's gonna provide us with status and acceptance in the community. So I like what you were, you're saying about transactional and, you know, yeah. if anybody has been listening, this has been in a 12 step recovery group. Um, you know, I think when people first come in as newcomers to that group, the first thing that people say typically is, what do you, why are you doing this? Why are you being nice to me? Why are you helping me? What do you want from me? Right. Oh, yeah. And when the answer is, I don't really want anything from you. Um, people feel very uncomfortable with that. So right. you're right. So many of these, so many relationships are transactional in nature, but then to go deeper, right. With the, with those relationships and truly express how yeah. you really feel. I, I think, you know, a lot of people in recovery are intimidated by that oh, and, sure. you know, the ability to kind of just go deeper a little bit. How, how did you get into this, Edward? I mean, you know, obviously you have your own recovery journey, yeah. But why the intimacy? Like, what, what, what about this is fascinating for you, and why did you kind of gravitate towards this area? Yeah, I mean, the the goal was was not to to work in treatment at all. Um, you know, I through through a certain uh, through a certain membership that I'm affiliated with, somebody said, "Hey, you should apply for this job with the state of Colorado." I, um, you know, I started working for the state of Colorado. And and I actually uh, got I actually got placed on a, a task force with the FBI. Uh, it was called the Innocence Loss Task Force, and we were we were helping victims of of sex trafficking, you know, create a life uh, for themselves of, of a different manner. And you know, I kept reading about um, this whole process, 
And I kept kind of, and it's one of these things in Colorado, we're known for a lot of things, but sex trafficking was not one of them that I thought of. Um, and then once I saw how prevalent and how bad it was, the next question I had was, well, why is there this, why is there this demand? Like what, what is going on? And so I started to go down, um, I started to go really kind of dive into the rabbit hole you know, that was intimacy disorders, was sex addiction, was, um, you know, was, was, was really this, this issue. Um, and then I got an opportunity after leaving the, the state and, and this, this, this post or this position to work with a 90 day um, men specific uh, chem sex program, which really related to a lot of what I, what I saw in the rooms, you know, it was a lot of you know, guys that were really struggling with substances, and then when they would be using that their their behavior sexually would increase. And then when they would get sober, they wouldn't necessarily be having conversations of how do you have sex sober? What is it like to date sober? You know, so a lot of it was very transactional, right? We were, we were taking the aspects of relationships in recovery, but we were only had a model for relationships and addiction. And we weren't evolving past that, right? And so, you know, guys were going out in, in large numbers because of this, this really fused disorder. Um, and then uh, worked for that program for about three years and then had the opportunity to work with, with Begin Again Institute and, and really had an opportunity to, to enact uh, a treatment and... And what I believe is, is part of the solution for guys that are really struggling in this way, you know, that they, they might not have the ability to go away for 60 or 90 days, um, but almost all of them have the ability to go away for two weeks. Yeah. And I think you were, you were talking about gut men, right? Like, yeah. and I think that, that this is just an issue that guys really don't want to talk about, right? No. Like they don't, but it seems to be the key, you know, at Recovered Life, it's really about living your best recovered life. That's why we do this in the show ultimately is to give people insight about how they can live their best recovered life, tools, tips, things like that. And really it comes down to this openness and intimacy and the ability to be vulnerable and to trust. I mean, I know that most guys in general don't like to trust people. That's mm -hmm. just not something that they, they want some sort of leverage yeah. over the situation because they don't want to feel vulnerable in any sense. No. Um, and do, do you feel that this is a common thing with people in addiction that, that have intimacy issues that come to you? They just really just can't, they just can't go there. And, and I guess the question is, what, why can't they go there? What, what's yeah. really preventing uh, men specifically um, from able to have deeper relationships? Why is it so scary for them? So this is, uh, so th this will be my little soapbox that I get on, but uh, I, I believe that, you know, and granted, this is, this is my perspective as a, you know, a white hetero male. So I don't want to discount any other perspectives or, or not be inclusive of others, but um, from, from my experience, I believe that a lot of masculine culture um, is, is rooted in emotional dyslexia. You know, I believe that we're raised to, to win, we're raised to be dominant, we're raised to be stoic. 
um, we're raised to, you know, not cry and to, you know, win at all costs. Um, we're, we're only really allowed to show true emotions in, in certain settings. You know, we're only allowed to show emotions if we're playing sports. We're only allowed to show emotions at funerals. Um, and outside of that, it's, it's really discouraged. And, you know, these are, I worked with a gentleman named Dan Griffin, uh, who wrote A Man's Way Through the 12 Steps uh, for, for a while. And, you know, he talks about this thing called the man rules. And so a lot of the man rules are really rooted in, in this idea that if you're not abiding by these rules, you don't have safety. You, you know, you don't have the, the nod of the group, so to speak. And so when, when we're talking about like, how do you get there for a lot of guys, we're asking them to be unsafe. And so this is, this is the other piece is for a lot of men that are going to treatment that are in the rooms that are really struggling to make that shift. We have to start seeing resistance as the first form of engagement with men, with working with men specifically um, to develop intimacy. You know, we have to see that I'm, I'm resisting what you're asking me to do because I, I understand what you're asking. So it's, it's not that we don't know what you're trying to get us to do. It's that we know enough to say that I, that's unsafe. You know, I, I know that um, pretty much any guy who has entered into a 12-step program is always told, hey, go to men's only meetings, right? Right. Uh, they're always told that by people who have great sobriety. Like, hey, you should, most of the meetings you go to or a chunk of them should all be yeah. centered around other guys. And, you know, as being somebody who's sober long-term, I look at the growth that I've had mm-hmm. in different areas. And usually it came from those groups or something, a mastermind or something. Yeah. You know, we have a, I, you know, I'm a part of a group uh, called Old School and shout out to anybody who's listening that's a member of that group. And, you know, most people have over 20 years of sobriety. It's yeah. a very small knit group, but something that I found is that if one person can go a little deeper yeah. and really be honest, what happens is it's like, a, it's, it's like a, a chisel in a way, a wedge. Once it, once it cuts into that, mm-hmm. you start to see other guys will say, well, yeah, I kind of feel like that. And this is yeah. my experience. And then one after the other. And I find that the dynamic of, hey, I'm always going to be able to solve things as a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let them see you sweat. I'm always in control. Yeah. Really fades away. And the people who still stay like that are intimidated and leave mm-hmm. is, is, is what I find. They, yeah. they shut off really quickly. You know, they might talk a good game, but like, no, I really want to go deeper in talk about these kind of things, but really at the end of the day, they don't. And it is possible, right? Is is basically what I'm saying. Cause I've experienced it myself in, in these groups. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a, when as men were only as vulnerable as the least vulnerable guy in the room. Right. And so what you're saying is just so important where when, when one of the guys will, will take one step deeper, right? And we call this the surface to depth approach, right? When, when people stop talking about what they do for a living and they stop talking about sports and they stop talking about vacations, but they really start talking about like, you know, 
maybe raising children or having a legacy or, or really being part of a community and being seen in, in as, as a person, not what we do or, or what we provide, but as a person, um, it, it does something to our brain. And this is really important because it, it gives a permission to disclose and to be part of something that culturally we're told not to. Right. And so this is something, um, if you want to kind of check it out, it's called mirror neurons. And so mirror neurons work in, in two different ways, right? So they work in a verbal and a nonverbal way, right? So the nonverbal way is, is Damon, you, you yawn, I'm going to yawn, right? It's, it's your brain looking at somebody else and going, Hey, you should, you probably need a little bit more oxygen too. You should yawn. Um, it also works in a, in a verbal setting. Right. So as we're repeating things back to each other, it allows us to then start to disclose in a different way, which is why so many people will leave group or they'll leave a meeting and they'll go. It, it's it's not oftentimes it's not the. The thing that was said, but how it was said in the manner it was shared, the way that people reflected it back to our to ourselves. Because what they're doing is they're, they're saying, in our culture, you are allowed to be afraid. You are allowed to feel abandoned. And we will, we will hold that aspect for you. We will support you. And you are not in the fight alone. And trauma has a lot to do with this, right? Like you, oh. you, we'd mentioned that earlier on, because look, none of this is coincidental that right. people that have addiction issues um, also have intimacy issues mm -hmm. because they were probably raised by people with addiction and intimacy issues, right? Sure. And, I, and I think, I mean, would you find that most of the people that, you know, an overwhelming amount of people that I have met uh, that have addiction issues came from a home that had these addiction issues? are oh, something okay. similar, right? And the the whole key behind that, like in, in a home that has addiction issues, you learn, one of the things that you learn very quick is not to really tell the truth about how you feel, right? No. And so as you go through and addiction plays its role and you get to a place at that time that you decide, hey, I'm gonna recover if, if you're lucky enough to get there. Yeah. Um, this, everything inside you, especially as a guy screams, hey, don't do that. Right. That's just, and you're talking the neurology of like, can, can you dive into that a little bit? Because, because everything, if somebody's listening to this right now and they're thinking, man, this might be an issue for me. Like I need to work on this a little bit and focus on this, yeah. but everything inside them says, don't do that. You're going to get, you're physically going to get hurt. Right. Yeah. Because like, I know people who, you know, if you come from abuse, um, that's physical, that's linked, that emotional, Hey, I was honest with the way I feel. And that caused a physical ramification. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, that's the piece, you know, that's, that's one of the pieces that I would just say is it can't be discounted is, is the physical response, you know, to, to, to a traumatic trigger. Right. And and so there, there's a couple of things, um, you know, for me, I would say it's always important to to kind of check the intentions of, of a relationship. So if if you're the person that's 
So if you're the person that's listening and saying, hey, do I do I struggle with intimacy? Um, the the answer is probably yes. Um, you know, if you're if you're having that that question going through your head. The next piece, though, is, is to really understand like intimacy is really on a, uh, intimacy disorders are really on a spectrum. Right. And so, you know, on, on the one hand, we're looking at a lot of, of probably secrets that we're keeping or, or ways that we're keeping people at an arm's distance, you know, at, at, at the complete opposite end, um, you know, the spectrum we're, we're talking more along the lines of, of sex addiction, where our, our drug of choice is, is dopamine that's released through, through sex or, or, or sexual behaviors. Right. And so the thing that I would challenge any man um, or, or woman uh, that's listening to this is, is really check your intentions around the relationships. Are they starting to mimic the ways that we saw our relationship to our drug our, or our relationship in, in our addiction, right? Is it starting to become just transactional, right? Am I getting on a dating site just because I want to hook up, right? And also starting to know, or if, if we're going to be successful, you got to have a community that, that, that's got your back. Right, because I know so many guys that have gotten into a relationship that was a lot, uh, there was a lot of toxicity. They got out of a relationship and they dated the exact same person just with a different name, right? And you know, so it's like your Sharon looks a lot like your Ashley looks a lot like your Michelle looks a lot like your you know Tabitha, right? And so. So what our brain is actually doing is it's it's trying to resolve, you know, a it, it could be trauma repetition. It could be, you know, this recreation of a relationship that we're trying to, you know, to conquer, so to speak. Um, do we seek but, that out too? Like, so with people with intimacy issues, do they seek out people who they really, at the end of the day, there's not really going to be a possibility of a relationship with it's already built in and inherent in the dynamic of that. How, how did, how does that work? Yeah. It, you know, when you talk about things like codependency, right. Uh, everybody has one, one interpretation of codependency. The other is, is really my wounded self recognizes your wounded self. Um, and, and we like each other. My inner child likes your inner child. Um, typically for the similar wounds, right? What I would say to this is it, it has to be something because I see time and time again, guys getting in, it, it's like they've got a magnet, right? And so what, what I would say is, is this, the physical responses to fear often mimic the physical res responses to infatuation. Right. So oftentimes guys are looking across the room and their heart is racing and their and, and, and their palms are sweaty and, and they're getting really excited and they're going, it feels like time stood still. You talk to a survivor of trauma and they'll tell you the almost the exact same thing. They'll say yeah, boxers will say, like right. people, boxers will say it's like, oh man, it was like it took forever to get through that round, right? But it was only right. a minute or whatever. So 
Yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And you know, you see this a lot in, in, in recovery circles, when you say like a magnet, you know, we always said that people in recovery have broken pickers, right? Like right. they will pick the absolute worst case scenario for them, right? They'll pick it every time, right? But really, the picker's not broken. That's how the picker has been designed to, to that's, pick. That's the key. That's the key. Early childhood wounding, right? And so when we talk about early childhood wounding, less than 5% of the guys who come to, to our program actually identify what we call big T traumas, right? So, you know, 9-11, war, natural disasters, terrorism, things like that. The rest of the guys that come through, so we're talking 95% of these guys have some, what we would call little t trauma or what we call vacancy and violation wounds, right? So I got consistently bullied because I was the last guy in my, in my class to, to hit puberty. Um, you know, I, I had, a, I had a, an older brother that constantly picked on, you know, so it can be bullying. And as guys, this is where the this is where the the culture of masculinity really comes into play. We're often told that's what made you a man. So when we tease apart some of these traumatic events, I have the narrative of that's what made me be a man, combo with we got to talk about this. So my narrative to myself is if I start disclosing these things, I'm not a man. Right. I'm actually I'm I'm betraying the culture that I'm supposed to be affiliated with. Right. And so, yeah, I, I totally become- see that, you know, and and Edward, I mean, I'm telling you right now, there are people that are listening to this, especially guys who are listening to this and said, man, this is just this is just a lot, man. This is just a you know, and, yeah. and I've always picked this way. I'm always going to be like this. And maybe, you know, people are listening to this. Say, I don't want to be like this. I feel like yeah. this is an issue. Is there hope here? Like, like literally, because I know a lot of people would say, well, yeah. that's man, that's just the way I am. I've been sober years, decades, whatever. This is just, this is just the way that I am. This yeah. is who I am in the core. And it's not really going to change. Maybe it will get a little bit better. But from what I'm hearing from you is there's hope to make really drastic change oh, and yeah. really have really deep intimacy in your life. Well, and you know, that it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, a lot of what we're seeing I mean, I would just say we, we got to do better, you know, um, on the, on the spectrum, you know, of intimacy disorders and, and men that are struggling with intimacy, a hundred percent of the time, anytime I ask any of our guys in, in our groups or, or our intensives, you know, or, or our clinical director asks the question of like, wouldn't it be great if your dad had been able to talk to you about these emotions, every guy nods their head. Everybody, every guy's like, I wish my dad would have, or I wish my grandfather would have, or I wish men in my life would have told me it's okay to be anxious. It's okay. It's okay not to know the answer, right? You're valued for like who you are and not what you do. Um, you know, so many of our, so many of the guys that come into the program have these very distorted views of like, we have to have so many sexual partners to be a man. We have to have, we have to make so much money. We have to so much influence or power. And if you're not these things, 
then you're not a man. And it's just, it's just not true. And what we're starting to see, and this is, this is the next level, this is the next generation. You know, I grew up in, in what I would say, I was the, I was an immigrant to the internet, right? So I grew up, part of my life, I didn't have the internet. And part of my life, I was very much in the internet. Um, the guys that we're seeing now are natives to the internet the amount of information that they're getting. And I use this like, I, I use this specifically, the information that's available for men to understand uh, about sex or relationships or masculinity in an unhealthy way is really vast. And it's, but there's no, there's no verification of knowledge. So a lot of guys are, are, are typing in sex and they're getting crazy amounts of, of material, but there's nobody that's actually walking them through and saying, hey, I hate to tell you this, but pornography is not real, right? That's, that's the, you know, it was, it was a tough lesson for me to learn, but it was the same lesson that I had to learn when I found out that WWE and, and the NWO weren't real wrestling, you know? but it had to happen. And we're, we're just at this age that like, if we're not doing it in, in our generation, the next generation, the generation that follows is, is really being left on an island. Edward, this has been a really great show, a topic that people are afraid of, quite honest, honestly, you know, intimacy, yeah. men, addiction, um, thank you so much for coming on today. If people want to know more about you, how do they find out more about what you're doing at Begin Again? Yeah, I mean, you can find us at beginagaininstitute.com. We don't take everybody. You know, we, we really work with a specific population, but we do want to always see ourselves as a resource. So if you're not a right fit for us, um, we love to connect people with sex addiction therapists in your community or trauma-focused therapists in your community as well. So it's a great resource. We also have a full listing on uh, the Begin Again Institute and Edward Tilton on Recovered Life. So you can also find out more about him there as well. Edward, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, buddy. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.